Hello, my name is Ben McCarthy and welcome to this week's episode of Anything But Square. Today's episode is our last episode in our mini um, summer of classic film series and I am once again joined by Sarah and Luke. How are you both? How are? I'm very excited about today's one, my favourite movie. Those levels are high and I can, uh, I can sense it. excellent just obviously a very very quick recap so over the past two episodes we've spoken about rocky goonies little shop of horrors and the karate kid and so in this episode we will be talking about stand by me which will be showing at fed square on saturday the 27th of march at 9 p.m and then last but not least we have labyrinth which is showing on sunday the 28th of march at 4 p.m Yay! Thanks, Master Ben. <laughs> no worries. What a Sunday flick. We will obviously get to Labyrinth shortly because I know that at least one person in this podcast <laughs> is just dying to kind of talk about it. And just being a very, very British person, I'm actually just going to drag this out as long as possible before we get to Labyrinth. <laughs> as you said, firstly, obviously, we have Stand By Me is about after learning that a stranger has been accidentally killed near their rural homes, four Oregon boys decide to go and see the body. On their way, Gordy, Vern, Chris and Teddy encounter a mean junk man and a marsh full of leeches as they also learn more about one another and their very different home lives. Just a luck at first, the boys' adventure evolves into a defining event in their lives. Now, I would say my first question is, what is your favourite Stephen King film adaptation? Tommy Knockers. Ooh. Tommy Knockers. I haven't seen that. That used to scare the bejesus out of me back in the day. But yeah, that probably one probably up there with one of mine, I would have thought. Mm. Oh look, I think for me, it's probably gonna be the re well, even when it was the first time it was somebody with a remake yeah, that's true. that scares the crap out of me. And to this date I can't be around clowns because of that movie, so I would say it, or mm. maybe Christine. What about you, Ben? What do you got? I'm going to have to go with the populist vote, and it's Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Oh, my God, I didn't realise that was one of his. Actually, yeah, oh, let's, then, let's yeah, be fair. I completely, completely cancel a null and void, yeah. the garbage I just said before. Obviously, <laughs> Shawshank's just up there, just had a brain fart, <laughs> and just completely forgot that was one of his pieces. I didn't realise that's one of my all-time favourite movies. So, yeah, then that's definitely yeah. I'd go down that route. But for the horror factor, mm. I would say it for sure. Okay, obviously we would have I mean, we were both drawn towards the horror aspect, which you would be with someone like Stephen King. But, yes, in terms of um, in terms of big hits, uh, The Shawshank, you can't go past it, can you, really? What about The Shining, though? The Shining's good. I actually find The Shining to be the scariest because... It, it it just really gets under my skin. Like every time I watch it, it's I think it's probably the notion of just seeing a very unhinged, like Jack Nicholson going, you know, all work, no play. Yes, yeah. um. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why I can't take that movie seriously anymore because remember mm. that dance song in the 90s? <laughs> Here's Johnny. And any time I hear that in the movie now, I just... Oh, no, I mean, he face through a door? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Also, as well, there is that brilliant, brilliant Simpsons parody of The Shining, or AKA The Shining, because you don't want to get sued. <laughs> yeah. 
and just seeing like the whole thing and also as well probably seeing a shining um sequence in ready player one i don't know if if, if any of you saw um yes. saw that movie which i love i can watch that movie on a loop but just seeing i think that that seat that shining sequence in there you could tell it was just made out of love mm. and just kind of it kind of turned it into one of those like horror roller coaster rides yeah you know yeah. like if you were you know in into some kind of like haunted house kind of thing i might say something a bit controversial here but i actually thought that dr sleep was scarier i still haven't seen it actually i want to like them sucking oh no that's creepy like and i love i mean look anything generally with mcgregor in it i like anyway but dr sleep that to me as an adult because i mean i've seen the shining but um to me, watching Doctor Sleep, that really is creepy. Like I find that really hard to watch some of that. So maybe it's because there's kids involved with it. I don't know, but there's a kid in the shiny well, as well. The, so. um, there was a there was a movie he did. Oh, I can't remember. Um, I'm pretty sure it has like a they're like they're in like a small like village. Uh, like a, like a, it's in, obviously based in the states, and it's like it looks like it's, it's like a fishing town. Um, and there's like I'm pretty sure it has like the devil in it, and they, and the the town has to come to a collective decision of whose child has to be offered up. Does that ring a bell by chance? Child sacrifice. Yeah, like I'm town. really clutching anything on in Maine, here. basically, because all of his stories pretty much take place yeah, in Maine. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, on on a on a on a side note as well, I thought I think we if we were talking to Stephen King, I think we have to do a couple of quick shout outs as well because he's got he's got such a different vast genre of stuff that he does. But we're forgetting the Green Mile that's also in there as well, and Gee, you, can, you can see okay. the the Stephen King in there, can't you? With the with the bees and just that real kind of that, yeah. that, that heavy music and like just even when they're walking towards you know with the, it's. It's quite. It's almost quite scary at times in that flick. Do you not agree? Like, oh okay. yeah, yeah, that's scary. Does that mean um, for sure? Top flick as well. And the other one I was going to say, which is a complete, and I'm not sure sure if you guys, and at some stage we potentially might have to do uh, a series of '80s actions and probably include The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's one of his pieces of work as well. Really? Yeah. Apparently. Apparently so. Well, yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies gen- in general don't really do it for me. So that's probably, maybe we need to do a Stephen King marathon, although I think most of them would put a, the rating on them. Well, well look, this, them, but... I mean, I know we're going to go to Labyrinth at some stage, but like in terms of the screening at four o'clock, like I remember watching the Labyrinth and being very scared of the goblins under the window as a young buck. Um, I know I'm jumping forward here. And we are, oh, man. you know, because. Need to man up. Well, not that scary. Yeah, they're not, they're not <laughs> now when you watch it. It's, it's almost borderline horrific to watch. But um, but back in the day, see, no, the dark you... crystal, the dark crystal to me was creepier than labyrinth. Labyrinth never really creeped me out, apart from those pink things that you were talking about. Oh, that's yeah, to take yeah. their heads off. Um, but but lab, uh, the dark crystal to me was way scarier. I couldn't watch the dark crystal when I was. Little. I was like, this is creepy. I don't want to watch it. So I stuck with my libraries every weekend.
another thing that I actually really wanted to touch upon with Stand By Me is its director, Rob Reiner, because he's also made a couple of my own personal favorites. His first film that he released was This Is Spinal Tap, which yes, is just, that's right. you know, an absolute genius piece of, of uh, comedy that never, ever gets old. And then the run of movies he did after this is Spinal Tap. So it was like Spinal Tap, The Sure Thing, Stand By Me, Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, Misery, and then A Few Good Men. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone actually has any extra time today, if you actually go onto YouTube and look up Kevin Pollack and The Rich Eisen Show. Kevin Pollack has a really interesting story and perspective on that Colonel Jessup speech at the end. Yeah, right. Which never really occurred to me when, like, every, like, every time I watch, like, A Few Good Men. Um, but it's actually really, it was really, really interesting. Yeah, we'll have to check it out. What about Sleepless in Seattle? That's another one of his. Was that it? was huge. Which one was that? Sleepless in Seattle, yeah, my God. Like, that's to date, people watch, say, let's just say most of the girls I know. But I don't know if you guys that like it do, but yeah, that's a Rob Reiner film. What's actually really amazing is is actually just how eclectic all of those films are. Mm. Yeah, They're definitely. So different. And I actually feel like that's something that's missing in modern cinema. We, we actually have those directors who are predominantly craftsmen or their storytellers they don't necessarily have their standard like bag of tricks now i'm not saying that directors who very much have their bag of tricks such as a scorsese where you know exactly with a scorsese movie like he's he's always going to have you know all of the like steady cams the fast cuts the jump cuts, all those kind of things because his style is so embedded into the stories that he tells that it, that it, you know that it's wonderful but you have these other directors mm. such as like Rob Reiner or even Peter Weir or even uh, Catherine Bigelow to a certain extent where they will look at their story and then then, what, then whatever, whatever they decide to do is always in service of that story with no real overt style. It's very much like from A to B kind of thing. And, and especially in, those, in the run of movies, that's why I find like, absolutely incredible because you could never tell that they were made by the same person yeah for sure no they're definitely definitely an eclectic mix in there that's for sure so what is obviously your own personal favorite coming of age film i mean that's that's tough there's a couple of big ones that stand out to me though like for me um growing up like i mean obviously it was before my time but i still enjoyed it as one of those ones was dazed and confused i really enjoyed that um obviously mcconaughey was you want to do it luke just do it <laughs> he was gold in that film it'd be a lot cooler if you did nah uh and then um all right all right all right that's a few years later ben that was part of the reconnaissance which was his comeback to actually it was part of his comeback to actual proper films and, and quality projects rather than just rom-coms that were pretty dusty to be fair uh, some, uh, some of his rom-coms were okay well some of, some of them were okay but you try and tell me that you could sit through ghost of girlfriend's past more than <laughs> yeah. and 10 things i hate about you would be my other one that i quite liked as well oh that's a good one yeah, yeah. i mean i know love Heath Ledger, so. yeah same um, i reckon for me it would be and i don't know if this is really coming of age but it's probably something that i was so sad with it breakfast club like i love my 80s movies 
And that to me, like just a classic. I still watching that. Movie. Yeah, it never gets tired. So. You've nailed that. You can almost say The Breakfast Club was one of the OG films in terms of the typecast of high school. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's a really, a really kind of pigeonholed oh, like, concept of yeah. you know, the jock, the nerd, the oh yeah, cre- yeah, yeah, for sure. That was that was the the one go. The go I'm trying off. to remember the name of the actor that played like the the nerdy guy in the movie because he ended up being. I remember he was in Edward Scissorhands as like the mean guy. And I it just never sat right with me because I was like, hang on, no, he's the nice one from breakfast. Who the nerdy guy? Um Anthony Michael Hall, that's his name. That he was Brian, the the like nerdy guy. But I've seen him on a lot of TV stuff and he tends to play like he was in 16 Candles, he was in Weird Science, National Lampoon's Vacation, like a lot of really classic 80s movies. Yeah. But um he then turned up in in Edward Scissorhands a bit older and a bit buffer and they've tried to make him like the bad guy. And I was like, no, that's little Michael from Breakfast <laughs> So, yeah, that, that typecasting thing I think is a very hard thing. For yeah, to for make. sure. Yeah. Stand By Me, uh, it's got a quite a good like, ensemble of um, of actors in it, doesn't it? Um, oh, it's amazing. Um, I'll tell you one that's always, you know, um, Keith Sutherland, he's quite he's quite notorious as the bad guy in, or the bad boy oh, in, the, yeah. in his 80s flicks. And he, he suits it really well as well. Oh, he suits it so well. Lost yeah. Boys. Lost Boys is great. Yeah. And then and then obviously he's kind of like, what, because he's steered more towards like being successful in the back end of his career with, with television stuff, doesn't he? Because he's, what's that one? Uh, two, two, four? Jack Brewer, 24. Yeah, that's that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then he's now in that new Netflix one, which is, uh, um, I can't remember what it's called now. It's like to do with like, Designated survivor, he was that, that, a president. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, no, I um, I, I rewatched that uh, Stand by Me um, last night. I know that you said that you did as well, Sarah. Yeah. Um, interesting flick, like because I mean I, I've seen it, but not again, not for a, for a long time. And I know we talked about this in the first um, podcast around you know stuff that you see it in eighties films or you potentially even in nineties stuff, but they just, you just wouldn't get so much today. It's like, there's a lot of fat shaming in, in, in that movie. There's, you know, there, oh, there's, yeah. there's, they're smoking dairies like at, at, at such a young age. And then obviously just the use of language, like the dropping the F, not, not, not the F bomb, but the other one that we don't like to talk about, you know, there's a lot of stuff. I was like, Oh, I was when I was watching, I was like, Oh, you probably definitely couldn't get away with that these days. But then that being said, with everything being very much PC world, um, PC principle, but boys. So there's a there's a movie called Good Boys or Bad Boys or something. It's one of Seth Rogen's latest pieces of work, and it follows like three, four kids. And it's funny how you look at back at this, the concept of Stand by Me is like it was like what it was back in the day. They're like they're going, they you know they're going for a walk in the wilderness. They got their camping gear. They're smoking, drinking, coming of age. You know, blah blah blah. blah. Uh, they're on like a murder mystery. Whereas the one nowadays, this boys one is like it's, a very it's all about, it's all about that one. <laughs> they steal a girl's handbag and it's got Molly in it. You know what I mean? Like it's a different, just yeah. a completely different scenario. And obviously that. that that would be, I mean, because everyone's access to information these days at a young age is so, so much bigger. Like, yeah. But even Stand By Me, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but 
even though it's an 80s film, it's meant to be sort of set in the 50s and 60s. It's not of current time. Yeah, yeah. So, yes. But I know that even back in the 80s, they did cop some flack for the whole smoking thing and they explained to everyone, no, they were cabbage leaves, they weren't cigarettes, <laughs> like they weren't actually smoking on set. But I just find it funny because a lot of those guys, you know, Corey Feldman, Ruby Phoenix, have sort of said, you know, at that age, I'd had cigarettes, I'd had, you know, best drink. But, yeah, yeah. It's, it's such an amazing movie. I actually, when I rewatched it last night, it's funny, like you were saying, like rewatching things when you're at a different age, even if it's just a difference of 10 years, just the things you notice in it are different. That dog still scares me. And Mr. Um, oh, what's the name of the junkyard owner? And I still can't watch the pie eating scene. It still makes sense. <laughs> and look, going. Not, yeah, don't watch it when you're eating. <laughs> Uh, that is a great story from the young buck. Yeah, I'm still kind of trying to get my head around why he well, – because what does he drink before he does it? Uh, castor oil. That's right. And I didn't know what that was, but, God, oh, I still even thought of that. But, you know, you know, talking about how fat shaming and stuff, I remember, you know, kids when I was younger would always use that line from that movie. You remember how they – like when he'd walk on the stage, they'd go, boom, bada, boom. Like kids would do that at school. So yeah, right. they I'm sure kids do all the others, but, um, but yeah, just, I mean, I look at that and think, God, but that was apparently one scene they wanted to remove was that pie eating pod, but Stephen King was like, that has to be in the movie. It's like part of the storytelling. Yeah, no, it's good. It's a it's a quality flick, and I think that, look, if people haven't seen it to get around it, it's one of those ones that's just an iconic piece. It's got amazing, amazing actors for the time. Look at Jerry O'Connell. Look how different he is now. He was a little... What was he, the chunky yeah. boy? What was his name again? Um, his name in the movie. Vern. Vern, that's nice right. Bro. Vern with his little comb. He had his little comb that he carried around with him, which I, I always loved Vern. Him and uh, and Gordy were probably my two favourites. My brother loved Teddy Duchamp. Will Wheaton. Yeah. Will Wheaton. <laughs> yeah, Will Wheaton. And then my brother always loved Teddy Duchamp, which was, yeah, Corey Feldman, because he was like the, the funny, wisecracking one. That sort of had a fairly sad backstory, but um, and then we've forgotten the another classic who's in the film, Richard Dreyfus. He's the storyteller, so yeah, there's definitely an amazing lineup in that film. And River Phoenix in it is amazing. Like, such a young actor, yeah. like so good. But to this day, I still yeah. can't enter lakes without thinking I'm going to walk out with pictures on myself. So <laughs> still creeps me out. No, absolutely. And I'm very much as said, um, you know, it's a really, really great kind of time capsule of a movie. And I think offers a very different perspective on the coming of age story. And yeah, and so it's gonna be showing at Fed Square on Saturday the 27th of March at 9 p.m. And now I think we are gonna move on to the main event, um, which is obviously talking about <laughs> Labyrinth. So what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna sit back and just say nothing and let Sarah, Sarah and Luke talk about it. Guys, the floor is yours. <laughs> Just to obviously get the synopsis out of the way, Labyrinth tells the story of a teenager called Sarah, who's played by young Jennifer Connelly, journeys through a maze to recover her baby brother, Teddy, from a goblet king. <laughs> wow. Just before we get into the thick of it, um, 
do you know what roughs me up? Always roughs me up. It's like, yeah, okay, everyone's had to babysit their younger, your younger sibling at some time. You don't need to bring on the problem. Do you know what I mean? Like, just, just, just put them to bed, go downstairs and watch some TV. Yeah, just pump the brakes a little bit, all right? You're overreacting a little bit when you're telling old And the baby's name was Toby, not Teddy, then just as an FYI. <laughs> yeah. Come on, oh, did I say Teddy? Yeah, he said Teddy. Oh, apologies. Okay. There you go. I can't read today. No, it's, it's Toby, Toby the baby. I always used to say to my sister, I used to threaten my sister to call the goblins when she was being an idiot. And, you know, for a good three or four years of work, <laughs> oh, okay. she'd be like, don't stop doing whatever she was doing. <laughs> like it was ever going to happen. But, yeah, God, this movie, I literally wore out my VHS tape because I watched it so many times as a kid. And then my parents very quickly figured out that at some point, and I don't know when, I'd stopped actually watching the movie and sat with my back to it and pretended that the Goblin King was talking to me because my name's Sarah and her name was Sarah and I knew every line in the movie. That's how sad I was as a child. <laughs> and, uh, my first crush, my first ever crush was the Goblin King, which, I mean, in hindsight wow. now, those, uh, those leggings are pretty offensive. <laughs> That's outstanding. Yeah, those things are illegal in 48 countries, but um, they were actually a segue. They were a segue to the first pair of yoga pants. Um, so that's good from Bowie to get on that early. <laughs> and David Bowie, like, who would have ever put someone sort of – so apparently they were talking about getting someone like Michael Jackson. I was like, no, nah, I can't even imagine anyone other than David Bowie playing that role, especially with the music. Um, oh. You know, I've still got that song um, where he's singing to her in the bubble, you know, and they're having the little ballroom dancing and all that stuff. I've still got that. I listen to it on my Spotify. <laughs> so, well, I've got Dance right. Magic in my 80s playlist as well. It's an absolute, absolute screamer of a track, yeah. that one. Um, but going back to what you were saying before, you know that scene where she obviously she eats the, 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 the I peach. guess you could say the forbidden fruit? Means means she loses her memory and she's dancing around in that kind of masquerade party and the Goblin King Bowie is just kind of creeping around in the background <laughs> singing soft nothings into her ear uh, and it's giving her eyeballs from across the room yeah. to who is a fourteen year old girl and it's very um, it's very creepy but again it, it just it definitely the whole thing I think is is this like because I, I guess from the plot sense is. The Goblin King likes to play with her, like uh, like he's he's created that he likes her indirectly. You know, he gives her this thirteen hours to get through this ridiculous thing and riddles and um, what's the smelly place that they go to? Sarah, you'll know this. The bog of eternal stench. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> we've all had, we've all had to deal with a bog of eternal stench at some point in our life. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's. Um, the whole thing as a collective is it's really well done and it's just a cool yeah. adventurous story. Yeah, and Jim Henson, like, you know, some of the things they did with puppetry and stuff in that thing. Oh, insane. yeah, it's cooked. You do forget that, oh, I mean, oh, even as a child, I would forget that they were puppets. I'd be like, these are real people. Like, there's a real hoggle, there's a real Ludo and there's a Dittimus and stuff. And I just. Ludo is awesome. Ludo is one of my favorites. I can, that's probably the only impersonation that I ever taught myself was Ludo. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you my Ludo impression. So I, I don't know if you remember the scene where she first meets him and they become friends. Yeah. 
And she said, are we friends, we know? And he turns around and goes, Rudolph and Sarah are friends. <laughs> <laughs> it's about the best impression that I've got nah. in my repertoire. Yeah. And it's still not that great. Nah, let's be fair, that's on point. <laughs> and then Hoggle, he was always a bit odd. Yeah. Little, yeah. Hoggle. Sort of creepy looking character that followed her around and was sort of her friend, but then kept hanging her out to dry whenever he got scared. And I remember, Ben, I mean, Luke, you were saying before that you thought this movie was quite scary. Well, what, what about it? Was well, scary. I, mean, no, I just, I just remember it's like when I, when I, when I watched it back, and so like obviously when I rewatch it now, you can, you kind of, it's like you said, it's awesome when you see all the, the, the puppets and all that kind of jazz. But I remember something specific in terms of nostalgia going back to when I was watching and it was raining outside, and they were hide the, the goblins were under her window waiting for her to say the words. So that, oh, say the words. so that the goblin king would come and yeah, take, that is a crazy you know, so that so so that, and you know it's like that, that whole that whole sequence at the start for when Toby gets taken yeah. by the goblin king because she wishes that to happen. Just the goblins waiting under the window. I don't know what it was because I was on. I was really young watching this. I remember I was like six or seven. So yeah, that, that, that yeah, creeped so. me out. But obviously now you watch it and it's it's kind of just a fun loving you know quality little flick. But. But yeah. yeah, that's definitely where, where that took me um, from back in the day. Well, there's so many things about this movie that, I mean, look, to be fair, even as a kid, the one part, there was probably two parts in the movie that creeped me out, and one was those pink, I don't know what they were called. It was when she was, um, and they were like dancing um, puppets. Yes. And they took their it's heads she... off and took their eyes out and stuff. I was like, that's creepy. And then the hands thing where she gets thrown down the shaft and the hands are like sort of they're called helping hands. Yeah. And they make little faces with the hands, but God, that creeped me out. I was like, oh, that's creepy. And she's always actually ugly it. They let her go. I always couldn't get my head around why she chose to go down rather than going up with the hands. No. I was like, what an idiot. Yeah. Because yeah. it doesn't when she go down and she falls into it with those creepy puppets with the the fiery ones with the heads come off. It's a very trippy film. Oh, there's definitely things in it where you go, whoa, we ended up getting a dog based on as a family we've got a dog because he looked like Sir Ditimus, like he was a little Yorkie and from then on I've always had little Yorkies because they remind me of Sir Ditimus. That's man. There's so many fun characters in that movie. Yeah. And then Ambrosius' yeah. dog. How good's a dog riding um, a dog? Yeah I know which is you know there's just so many fun things that movie that I don't know I don't think I will ever 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 get tired of this movie. I'll no. watch it until the day I die. And I still love David Bowie and I still have a full crush on him whenever I watch it, even with his makeup and his leggings. I still, yeah. I still love him in that movie. Yeah, it's yeah, it's an interesting combo. That's a cool get-up he's got, but when he's, you know, when he's throwing the baby up and he's singing that song and he's dancing around with all the goblins, yeah. that's, a, that's one of my... You look at some of the things they did with camera as well, camera work, in that film, like when um, they're going through the sort of upside-down staircase world at, towards the end. How they did that back in the 80s is crazy. There's so many things in that movie, even as an adult, that you watch. And even with nowadays technology, look at it and go, wow, that's pretty amazing that they pulled that off. Yeah. I and mean, there's obviously, you go, well, that's probably not held up so well. Um, but there's things in that movie that are just, yeah, the soundtrack's amazing. You've got Jim Henson. You can't really go wrong. You've got David Bowie and Jennifer Connolly. I mean, she's well-renowned actress nowadays. Massive. In her own right. Yeah, yeah Bowie, Bowie definitely hit it out of the park with that. I think that would be one of his better works, as well as that cameo from Zoolander. 
what else what what about what about the prestige where he where he turned oh, up yeah, as yeah, Nikolai yeah, Tesla? No, you're right. Actually, the prestige is an epic film. Good Noel on that that one. Quickly, actually, before before we finish up, is that aside of Labyrinth, what is each of your like favorite films that you never get tired of? Like you can watch it on a loop, and and you still get that same feeling you got the first time that you watched it. Oh, there's probably two for me. One would be, and they're very different to each other, and people are probably going to be really judgy on one of them. <laughs> one is the original Point Break. Good I could watch that to death. And then the other one, which is probably a little bit left to centre, but it's one that I, I mean, I loved it so much um, that it made me sort of fall in love with Beethoven, and I now have a tattoo on my arm about Beethoven, which was Immortal Beloved with Gary Oldman and Isabella Rossellini. I still watch that. I can watch that. Which one, sorry? It's called Immortal Beloved. Okay. It's a story about Beethoven and um, how, you know, he, he you know couldn't hear and he was still writing these beautiful symphonies and, I mean, he's, he had quite a sad life. So this movie is about um, his estate to this day was left to, um, he didn't name the person, he just called them his Immortal Beloved and there was all these arguments about who it actually was. So the story kind of goes through um, them interviewing sort of back in the 1700s, whatever it was, women to see who it was. But they never actually found out in real life who, who the person was. They had suspicions. But, yeah, that and Point Break are my two, two faves. And Labyrinth, obviously. Um, for me it's hard because, like, I, I kind of pigeon mine, pigeonhole mine into, into categories. So, like, for instance, Lord of the Rings is one of my all-time greats. I don't know how many times I've watched that. You can almost give me a character, a movie, and a scene, and I'll be able to quote it for you. Dumber Dumber, in terms of comedy, that would be out there for me. I know that might not be some people's kettle of fish, but I just think it's such a, an amazing, amazingly good – it's, it's, so, it's so well done. It's just it's, it's very silly, but at the same time – It's just the parakeet scene yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, but, but they do well because it's a, it follows a good plot. You know, like it's not – it's not too stupid. I mean, obviously, the, the concept is they're, they're stupid, but at the same time, <laughs> it's just if you give it another nudge, it's just it's a great nut. And then obviously, like drama-wise, it'll be something like Forrest Gump or Shawshank, like I mentioned earlier. Um, like, yeah, Shawshank's I mean, one. you look at Forrest Gump and Shawshank, they're basically on, they're like the Christmas movies now. They're, like on, they're on every Christmas on just normal television. Two top flicks. Yeah, because they end with that beautiful, like, feel-good feeling yeah. about them. That's why. Yeah. Ben, what about yours? Uh, I'd say for me, because I'm such a Nolan tragic, it will always be his Dark Knight movies, like every time, um, because they are like my Star Wars or like my Lord of the Rings. Like They're the ones that I can watch and so, listen. And the other thing is, is like because I'm because I'm because I'm such a tragic. I even actually dragged my other half to go to the Dark Knight Marathon at the IMAX. We were there for nine hours watching them all back to back, which was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then I think other two, my favorite actually coming of age one, actually going back, which is one I do watch a lot and does have a as a significance, and it might be left the field as well, is the Friday Night Lights movie. Oh, yeah, that's a good movie. I've seen that. We've really because I, I think, because I watched that, you know, I was like 13, 14, 
just kind of the basic themes of that movie where it's like, you know, around about how, you know, you've got this overarching pressure on, on these like teenagers to like deliver on the big stage. And it's all about football or nothing else. And, you know, just all those like little kind of bits and pieces really kind of, you know, stuck with me at that period in my life. Also as well, it introduced me to Explosions in the Sky, who are like my favorite band ever. And I've seen them live and stuff. And so that movie I can watch every time. And then when it gets to, you know, that classic football scene and the um, the, the, the classic halftime speech and all that kind of stuff, it gets me every time. And lastly, probably Goodfellas because oh, God, yeah. that's... God, it's so hard to pick movies, isn't it? Yeah. Things pop up and you go, oh, yeah, like, you know, Godfather is another one that I've watched a million times. Yeah, go on, go on. Fellas, amazing film. Yeah, and so and I say good fellas because the first time I watched it, I didn't like it, and I think because I wasn't old enough to understand what the movie was trying to do. And then when I watched it again, you know, when you're like 15, 16, you're like, okay, yeah, this is you know, it's pretty amazing. And then you know, and then every time you watch it, for me, that's like the ultimate 3D movie, where just how it's done, you're like always you're in that environment with them, and obviously and. And you have the Coco Cabana scene where you have that steady cam shot, you know, that goes through the, you know, the back way into the main um, hall. And also what's so funny scene as well, which is scary as like, even now, even though you know how it's going to, oh, even just him going like, what's so funny? What's so yeah. funny about yeah. that? And you're just you like, just oh. sitting there and having so Pesci say that to you? I would, yeah. I think I would have run. <laughs> oh, it's- Scary as, scary as. He's he a is. very scary guy, that's for sure. I would not trust him. Yeah, even in Casino. I rewatched Casino last weekend. I rewatched that last weekend. How good is it? Yeah, I love that. I think that's a great one. Oh, and again, he's so. And 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 again, I've, I I always find the scene where he is interrogating that Irish robber, yeah. where they had like tortured him for like two days, two nights. And then they actually put his head in a vice, squeeze it, and that's when they like give him the name. And he's so annoyed at the guy from the fact that like he literally had to put his head in a vice to get the information yeah, they needed. Yeah. And just how his, yeah, you know, it's yeah, it that that movie's really good. That that that's almost like a classic Rome, like Roman epic, or it's, or, or it, it, it feels like the fall of the Roman Empire. That movie. Oh, I've just thought of another movie based on what you just said. Then Gladiator. Like, oh, oh god! Like this is—it's very hard to name because, like Luke talked, sort of said before, I generally don't. I mean, I've got obviously my two faves that I've watched and I will watch forever, but. There's, I have so many of those type of movies, depending on what mood I'm in, what genre I feel like watching. There's, you know, you could pick your favourite in every genre, but, you know, there's so many amazing films that I would happily sit down and watch over and over and over again. I love Gladiator so much that when I, when I was on my trip in Europe in 2019, I made my um, partner come with me to, obviously, to the Coliseum, and I asked, I paid extra money so that I could be taken onto the like the platform down below and come out the same door <laughs> that the gladiators you come out. Were you pulling a max? Because I, was, I, I, I literally was walking around by myself. Everyone was listening to the guy talk about stuff and I was just in the background doing quotes. 
and just like filming it and put, putting it up on the gram and stuff. Redid the whole Maximus quote with him. Oh, it's just such an awesome, it's such an awesome flick. Yeah, um, and Joaquin and it, Phoenix is that bad guy. He's so oh, good at it. Yeah, it's in, he's someone who very look. I'm in my opinion, and I don't know if everyone would agree with this, but real proper bad guys in movies, people that can really play a bad guy. For me, I really struggle to then see yeah. them in other movies as like playing like a light-hearted good guy and whatever else. Yeah. Phoenix is one of the few people that no matter what I see him in, I believe it. Like I'm like, yep, that's him. Um, there's not all that many actors that I. I can think of the top of my head that I have that with. We'll save that for another um, another podcast. And thank you, obviously, so much, Luke and Sarah, for um, joining us um, during these like three episodes. I have a feeling that when when we do another summer of classic film series, I have a feeling that we will all come back and do this again. Yeah, 100%. And we, we have to be part of the movie selection process. We will be the. Uh, the judge and jury on who on what is screened at Red Square. But yeah, I think I think that we've got some really good films across summer, some stuff for families, some stuff sort of for old people, all really great movies, all things that I would see a thousand times over. Mm. Um and you've done a great job pulling it together, Ben. Yeah, well done guys. Get get down to Fed Square, get on, watch these flicks. Let us know what your thoughts are and just get involved. And if you see someone in the square doing impersonations, it's probably Luke. <laughs>